0: is a Momentum Media production.
1: Nerd alert! Property nerds, (laughs) the home for data-driven property investors, where we uncover Australia's hot and cold
0: markets, latest headlines and trends. Welcome to another episode of the Property Nerds, and if you're wondering... My voice is sounding that little bit nicer or a little bit clearer. Got a whole bunch of new podcast equipment here in the studio or in the office, aka studio. Uh, It's Arjun Paliwal here, head of research and founder of Investigate Buyers Agency. And co-host here with me is the lovely Lee Paliwal. Hello, Lee.
1: Hello, everyone. How are we?
0: Very, very good. Lee, 12th consecutive cash rate. What's happening here?
1: Yeah, so straight into the finance news update, so a 12th consecutive cash rate increase announced earlier this month for June, another 0.25% for an additional increase. And that's taking the total RBA cash rate up to 4.1% currently. So essentially, it seems like the pause in April on the hikes was just a false alarm or peak and so essentially, Governor Philip Lowe explained in this statement that while inflation in Australia has passed its peak at 7%, it was still too high and would be somewhere before, sometime before inflation would be back in the 2 to 3% target range. So that's what, what he said. And he said this further increase in interest rates is to provide greater confidence that inflation will return to target within reasonable timeframe. So it's looking like at this stage, we will need to brace another two, maybe three consecutive cash rate increases. That's what the talk is at the moment. But Arjun, what's your thoughts on this?
0: Look, firstly, I have to humbly understand that I've got the interest rate analysis wrong. Do you know what I mean? I thought it was done. And I genuinely did. And sure, The inflation has been persistent on the measures, but stuffing up household budgets to this extent is not the way forward. Like people are feeling it. Like it's it's just, it's silly. And I get to run cash flow modeling for so many people all the time. And I'm just, this is probably the third time I've said this on the air, just around the shifts, right? You know, 800 to a million a couple of years ago was a very consistent investor price point. Then it went to six to eight hundred, and that became chasing higher yields because price growth was pretty rampant during the boom. And now, like I almost feel like everyone coming on board as a client as well is like, hey, four to six hundred, three to five hundred, four to six hundred. I'm not saying these are bad purchases or these hold you back, but you can clearly see a shift in just what's this forcing investors to do. Now that's the investor side. We're forgetting that all the homeowners that own properties, all the homeowners that are loaning for properties. And I just think that there are the three thirds of buyers or owners of property in Australia. There's the one third renter, there's the other third owner-occupier with debt, and then the other third owner-occupier with no debt. And this is just very broad numbers, Lee. But to me, I'm just thinking here, where is this inflation going to be instantly tamed by just constantly dialing it up On one third of people, because you've got the one third with loans who are going to get hurt more and more. Then you've got the other third of people who are renters and they're just naturally going to have the ferocity of landlords now in a low vacancy rate environment starting to increase more rents. So they're going to get pummeled. Mm. And rents feed into inflation data. How stupid is that? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? The same data we're trying to tone down is the same data we're hammering to tone back up. And then the final third. Is essentially people who are like, I don't know what this interest rate noise is all about because I ain't got no debt. Do you know what I mean? I got no debt. I'm just sitting there. I just got no debt and I'm out there. I'm enjoying life. I'm traveling. And that Mm. third of people is is not fast, right? Remember Australia's loan to value ratio is just over 20%. So there's a lot of people not feeling it, which means you're just targeting a very small segment. But look, what does the RBA do Because that's their tools and they just think that they have to keep hammering it. So, sorry about that tangent there, Lee. But the main thing is, I got the analysis of that incorrect. And I'm honest and upfront to say that I thought it was over and they just keep on going and they surprise me here. But at the same time, I'm sure the charts that they're reading are making them do this. It's just that it's not healthy for so many families. But at the same time, why haven't we seen a whole bunch of supply come up just yet? Is because there are a lot of prepared families. People did not just not see this people's finances, equity releases, you can speak to that. But I guess, yeah, I think the main thing is it sounds like they want to increase it a few more times and we just have to brace and see how everything's going and and press on.
1: Yeah. I mean, definitely things that we're seeing in Hills Finance is a lot of pressure on your owner occupiers for managing their repayments at the moment. So everyone and everyone, I mean, everyone is feeling those cash rate increases. So Yeah, so I'll talk through some things that you can look at doing shortly. But essentially, the big question, as everyone is mostly definitely feeling the pressure, is how much would this look like increasing your monthly loan repayments by? So unless you're on a fixed rate mortgage, the banks will likely follow the RBA lead to increase. And most of them have applied that increase now, if not by mid next week. So we're at the 16th of June today. So yeah, it's been applied or will be applied very shortly. And so let's say you're an owner-occupier with a 25-year loan term remaining of $500,000 paying principal and interest. This month's 25 basis point increase means your monthly repayments could increase by almost $76 per month. That's an extra $1,135 a month on your mortgage compared to 3rd of May last year. So that's one example. In Sydney, obviously, we generally have higher loan amounts so because of higher medium house value. So if you have a loan of $750 loan, Going, repayments will likely increase by $114 a month, and that's up $1,702 from May last year. Meanwhile, a million dollar loan will increase by about $152 a month, and that's about $2,270 from 3rd of May last year. So, yeah, like I said, things we're seeing and noticing day-to-day at Hills Finance, there are many people who are still on their fixed rates but they're definitely coming up like we're noticing a lot of people coming off their fixed rates July and August. I don't know if that's due to when they went into the new financial year or something like that when they took up those fixed rates initially but a lot of people in July and August are coming off. Uh, now that we are over 40% decrease in borrowing capacity for everyone off the back of these 12 consecutive cash rate increases our inquiry and t- uptake for seeking alternative lending options, wanting to look at, for example, the dollar-for-dollar refinance option I've discussed many times in previous podcasts is
0: very high. Lee, on on that note, could you explain what the dollar-to-dollar refinances, I know we've talked about in the previous podcast, and maybe just even touch on the assessment rates because that's been a big thing that's changed as well for some banks, hasn't it?
1: Yes. So there's a couple of different options or lenders trying to provide some sort of alleviation for borrowers who have existing debt wanting to refinance or recast that debt back over a new loan term, there is minimum criteria that you've had that loan that you're wanting to refinance for 12 months or more. So you've got that existing good repayment history. and um, You've got good credit scoring. Generally, there's a couple of major lenders. So for example, we spoke about Westpac Group last month they've lowered their general, their normal assessment buffer or rate is 3% on top of the rate that you may have or be taking out. They lowered that down to 1% last month for refinance debt. Now, this is only for borrowing in your personal name, okay? Not through a trust, not through company structures. There are other lenders, your non-bank type lenders that are doing a dollar for dollar refinance. They're actually doing this for all borrowers, Okay, so through a trust, as tr- you know, company as trustee of a trust, uh, personal, whichever you can you can do that. And so, while Westpac has lowered their assessment rate, that th- that means they're still looking at a borrowing co- assessment. Can you still borrow based off that lower one percent assessment rate?
0: With- and that that's a big change there, rightly because if you've got the right boxes being ticked, that is someone essentially. Instead of being assessed on maybe nine percent rates or ten percent rates, they're being assessed on seven or six to seven and a bit percent rates. Is that a fair summary?
1: That's correct. Yeah.
0: Like that's huge because if you recall, anyone listening to this may want to go back to I think one of our predictions, maybe not on the show, it was possibly on on the net. I think it was with news.com.au, I'd shared and Yahoo Finance, I'd shared six trends for 2023 or six trends for 2022. It was one or the other, but it must have been 23 because here we are now. And one of those core trends were banks reviewing assessment rates, reviewing affordability tests, and things like that. And it's just banks need to have credit flowing. And I think that's a really important point for people to understand. And for credit to flow, it's actually not in the favor of the banks to have anyone locked up in the so-called mortgage jail. The -hmm. second thing is that the credit flow also needs to ensure that credit does not get stuck and that borrowers are impacted who have always typically been good borrowers. And this is when all these policies and discussions behind the scenes, APRA and banks come in and a so-called rule is no longer a so-called rule. And there's exceptions to the policy and then APRA has to come out with random documents to go, oh, the rule's still on, but kind of not on and maybe on. And yeah, all that does is really just say, hey, uh, we're just twisting and tweaking things to our favor so we can get a bit of business, but also keep customers happy and then try and do this. And yeah, I think the main thing is what everyone should realize is there's a system element to this all, meaning The banks need to keep credit flowing and the banks need to keep customers moving and not get stuck and not have business wastage, not have this. And this is where all these fancy, beautiful ideas come from, which we called and knew would happen. And so I think knowing all of this, Lee, firstly, how can people get in touch with you regarding assessment rates and checking out their lending? Because this might be a whole bunch of jargon and this might be a whole bunch of terminology that they might need some understanding and explanation on. Could you explain how everyone can get in touch on that front?
1: Yeah, definitely. So easiest way is reaching out to us on our website, hillsfinance.com.au forward slash contact. Uh, obviously, we input your information and then we can book in a call. Alternatively, you could just give us a call directly and um, that's best to call us on the 1300 number. Uh, and you might th- even
0: hear Chrissy, girl Christine will might, might pick up. So that's your that's Lee's mum for everyone uh keen to know if you speak to Christine, hey yes, hey mum. or Chris
1: aka Chrissy as she likes Christine. to be called. So 1300 697 063 is the best way to get in contact with us immediately. Otherwise put in the contact request on the website. But yeah, otherwise if you want more information about the dollar for dollar refinance, I have mentioned it For the last two podcasts, actually, I suggest you listen to both May and April, where I broke down the criteria. Otherwise, the team, we're happy to jump on and have a discussion about that because a lot of people are in demand and requirements. Off the back of what you mentioned, Arjun, is definitely the banks have to review their policies because it looks as though despite – acknowledging the pressure faced by households, the council financial regulators say APRA serviceability rules is appropriate and they don't foresee any changes coming up anytime soon.
0: Crazy how that works, right? It's like, Hey, we don't want to change our rules, but. You can kindly change your rules if you want to and just be good about it and make sure everyone's okay. Like what's the point of rules and if you're not just going to change it blanket and we constantly have banks battle with each other and trying to shift things. And yeah, look, that's another topic. But Lee, I think the main thing here is for everyone tuning in, the point of us raising this is that we acknowledge there might be people struggling to get the message through to a bank that you pay your loans on time, that you're a good customer, that you've always been good. That you know how to look after your family, your commitments, your finances, yet they're just silly rules are saying no, 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 even though there's never been an issue. And this is an opportunity for you to take a step back and make sure that your finances for your family is in the best position possible. This same movement, the refinance boom, which has been and is occurring, was happening when COVID first happened. And this was the time when everyone's like, oh, wow, what's happening? lockdowns, jobs, this, let's go review our finances. Let's make sure we're okay. We don't know where this is gonna go. It's the same motion here. And so it's an opportunity for you to speak to Lee, speak to her team and just go, I wanna make sure we're all good. And if we're getting our rates here and they're not the prettiest we're good customers, I wanna make sure that someone else, if they can, can treat me better, look after me and my family, potentially look at equity releases, make sure you're okay, whatever the scenario is for your situation. It's really important to point that out because I do see a lot of families reach out to us and just go, hey, I'm not sure about what to do here. They said no, they said no. Well, there are some options here to say yes and ensure that you're not stretching yourself further, but actually aiding the scenario. I just thought I'd take a moment to say that, Lee, and apologies for hijacking that. I just wanted to make sure that people are in good hands and they understand that this is a time where your proactiveness puts you in a position to succeed or puts you in a position to hold the fort. And we just want to make sure that you're looked after from that perspective to know that for no cost, you get to sit down with someone, review your finances, ensure there's a better rate, ensure that you move with there's better flexibility for you, better loan terms without all this bank and policymaker bullcrap going behind the scenes about, no, it's 3%. No, I'll do 1%. That bank won't do anything. And we'll just do the hard work for you to find the right people. And go from there so yeah that's it from there but in terms of lee the capacity and second and third tier lenders you're noticing a lot of activity there what's happening on that front
1: well obviously as rates go up borrowing capacities with your major lenders are generally lesser in terms of how much you can afford and so we're seeing clients who have the capacity or the want, I should say, to look at a higher budget are looking at your second or even third-tier lenders to stretch that out, to take advantage of the current climate, to capitalise on an investment opportunity, whichever. And so more clients, are, if they have to go towards a second or third-tier lender, which generally what that means is it's not a major bank, uh, some policies may be slightly more lenient and especially in the case of third-tier lenders, and they're generally third-tier lenders are your non-bank type lenders. So people are swaying towards them to capitalize on opportunity for new purchases.
0: Yeah, good call out. And that just shows you the importance of the right broker in your side, because you can now go, hey, it's not just the big four, or big five. It's what's the second tier? What's the third tier? How do I consider lending? I remember we went through this when we went back to what, 2019, 2020, it was our earlier years in business and we we're transitioning and growing COVID and over just hit. And some banks say, no, some banks said maybe. And then finally the third tier said, yeah, we'll give you money, mate. As long as you give us a huge deposit or as long as you you know, show us every bit of paperwork here and there, and we we're cool to do. But I guess the main thing is sometimes in these times, if you wish to have progression in your portfolio, Need to go to solution-focused banks. You need to go to full reviews. You need to go to a broker rather than to bank. And it's moments like this that give a good review. But
1: well, what I'm going to bump in there is is there's a cost of interest rate or maybe more deposit that you need to put in. But you ah, also yes. up, weigh up the opportunity cost of missing out on a potential good investment if you were to wait another. I don't know, 12 months maybe or less for the rates to go back down and the market to start playing back up. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think when you think about that, it's also important in the context of all this talk we've done about interest rates, refinances, higher repayments. Let's just take a step back and recognize one thing though. Markets all across Australia have been and are now recovering for the ones that were declining for the ones that were improving, they're improving even more. And so it's clear just on that note of the 12th consecutive rate rise, we're still looking back and seeing property prices come back into swing. So the point of mentioning that is that it's not so linear interest rate up, property price down. There's many other scenarios. And so this is where sometimes those second tier and third tier banks come in, and may provide you that solution to take advantage of certain conditions in the marketplace. So it's another key thing to remember and such a good point to bring up, Lee, because it just takes me back to our earlier days of starting our businesses and we needed to access those second tier and third tier lenders to keep scaling our portfolio. But yeah, that's the world of finance on tiers of banks, borrowing capacities, fixed rates, interest rates, and repayment shifts and all you need to know there. But on the finance front, Lee, how about we look at what's happening with ABS lending indicators? It's always good to take a good of a national view on data points when it comes to housing finance.
1: Yep. So we're in June. It's always a little bit delayed. So April 2023 data has been released. Housing finance in April 2023 in seasonally adjusted terms for the value of new loan commitments. The loan total housing fell for, uh, by $23.3 billion after a rise of 5.3% in March. So that was 25.8% lower compared to one year ago. So that's total housing. For owner-occupied housing, this fell by 3.8% to $15.4 billion, And that was 24.3% lower compared to one year ago. And for investor housing, this fell by only 0.9% to $7.9 billion, And that was 28.6% lower compared to a year ago.
0: So on average, between sort of that 24 to 28.6% less lending going around and flowing around in comparison to the year prior. So that's in pretty interesting. And Lee, I know refinancing is a hot topic, especially what we've mentioned earlier today on the whole dollar for dollar refinance lowered assessment rates, that stuff has only been showing up in recent times, which means that there's still been a lot of people moving without that stuff and having very high assessment rates. What's the trends like in terms of the movements? Because it's clear that looking at the stats you shared with me, there's a lot of higher than this time years ago showing.
1: Yeah, so April, the value of external refinancing for total housing fell 9.2% to $19.3 billion, And that's after a record high of $21.3 billion in March. Record high, which is interesting, like you said. And rates have been increasing since May last year. And so that was 14.2% higher compared to one year ago.
0: Now, that's a key statistic. So, looking at that, that proves to us that yes, there's a little bit of pullback towards the tail end right now in terms of total refinancing. But, on the whole grand scheme of the year versus the year, we've seen a 14.2% increase in total refinancing. Clearly, in my opinion, this is the point that we raised some episodes ago, Lee, around how and why there wasn't any housing collapse imminent due to these rising rates is because you have an ability to be proactive in finance. And this clearly shows Australians were and are proactive on their finances because we are sitting at 14.2% higher values of refinancing, even though there is circa 40% reduction in borrowing capacities. So whilst people are you know, fishing around for lower assessment rates, and they should, and they should be looking at that. There's a whole bunch of Aussies here saying, hey, look, I can still borrow. I can still move my loans around. I'm not stuck because it was 14% higher than what we call a finance boom. And it was 14% higher than that in refinancing. So well done to all of you for staying proactive, looking at your numbers, getting into action, finding out ways to better your position. Then of course, review opportunities and how you can go from there. Now, that's a, a really good recap of Finance Lee thank you so much for sharing that we've got some pretty cool insights to share on a bit of a, a bit of a hot spotting in terms of what's cracking around the marketplace and South Australia has been a pretty interesting space hasn't it Lee
1: it's been a very hot topic. So South Australia's property market has been one of, if not the top performer across Australia for the past year. And so that brings us to the most recent white paper for yourself and Jung Ma, the research analyst at Investikit for the recent released white paper in May, which was titled Five Top performers in South Australia in 2023. So all the listeners, uh, you can find this information that's completely free reporting that you can access on the Investigate website. So you just need to go to investigate.com.au forward slash white papers and there's a whole lot of free info for you to download and digest. But Firstly, Arjun, how has SA stood out in comparison to other states in Australia since the beginning of 2022 up until now, off the back of these 12 recent rate hikes?
0: Yeah, so firstly, SA has been a big standout, and as we know, we just talked about earlier, the SA stand out in price growth. But at the same time, we talked about how interest rates are just not this clear piece of information where rate goes up, price goes down. Sure, at a national level may seem like that to some people in recent times, but there are many regions here that did the opposite. And most of South Australia, or almost all of it, grew in 2022. How cool, right? National data going backwards, but South Australia going higher. Now, many people would remember me from episodes in 2020, 2021, even going back to 2019 and some some data shared across smart property investment and a few other areas where we were saying, hey, watch out, Adelaide's coming, it's going to grow, South Australia's growing. And if you think of why that is, the simple answer is local supply conditions, local economy. And I know that's very simplified, but that's the truth. When you think of, hey, Arjun, how are you looking at this data and making sense of it and how are you able to you know, go on to the Weekend Today show last year and say, Adelaide will grow double digits in 2022 and it will be the best performing capital city in Australia. Interest rates will continue to rise. Other markets will decline and watch the space. Fast forward, that all happened. Now, I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because I'd love to share the truth behind areas and remove the bias. If you've been guilty of saying, what's that sleepy town going to do for capital growth? If you've been guilty of saying, "Oh, there's not much happening there. If you've been guilty of saying, look, Sydney and Melbourne, that's where all the people go. That's the population. Well, you are horribly wrong and horribly misguided on analyzing the truth on property markets. And so we're here to unpack that with a bit of a South Australia edition because we now wanted to say, hey, look, let's build a bit of a research paper to share what happened, why it happened, what's happening and what's likely to happen. And that's what this paper is all about. So in terms of South Australia, Lee, I guess how it stood out has been local economy, local supply conditions, because if you were to speak to someone and go, there's not a lot of building, not a lot of properties for sale, not a lot of properties for rent, and there's a lot of jobs, lot of pipeline of infrastructure, a lot of spending per capita. How can you sit there and tell me that prices won't rise, irrespective of the demand side being hammered, demand side being the aspect of finance, which we saw the data, it is pulling back. And it has been for the last year. It's just that there were so many other forces pushing against it. And that's essentially how SA stood out.
1: Amazing. And so I guess for the new listeners to the Property Nerds podcast, what data sets are actually being used or looked at when determining what these top five performers in SA are?
0: Yeah, a lot of fun data. So we have our short-term pricing just to make sure we can understand what is happening currently. Uh, We have long-term trends and that helps us understand cycle position because something cannot keep killing it forever. We've then got affordability and serviceability. We've all talked about interest rates a lot in this uh, particular podcast podcast. And that's where interest rates can be used to allow us to understand repayments and therefore serviceability, affordability in different interest rate periods. Economic indicators, one of my favorite and the most important things like unemployment, job advertisements, types of jobs, types of projects, project spending in total, project diversity, GRP, GDP, trend lines, and even project value per capita. And then we go into incoming supply, building approvals, rate of release, total release, rental market indicators, vacancy rates, number of listings for lease, rental price growth trends, rental yields, and sales market indicators, days on market, housing inventory, vendor discounting, listings for sale, stock on market. I literally just gave everything to everyone on what the data sets are. But long story short, it is demand, it is supply, it is affordability, and it's rent, build, and current.
1: What I love is that Investigate, you guys are very generous with the amount of free data and research that you guys are providing. So you've listed obviously the top five performing areas in SA, which are as follows. So you've got Barossa, uh, medium price 465K, Mount Gambia, medium price 380K, Tea Tree Gully, medium price 620K, Onka Paringa. Median price, did I say that right? Five hundred and seventy-five
0: k. Did you say Barossa? Like, what the hell is a Barossa?
1: <laughs> Barossa. And Adelaide Hills median price range six hundred and fifty-one k. So now, all of these median prices you have provided are for—are these for existing house prices in isolation, or have you included data for townhouses and/or units in order to get these medians also?
0: Yeah, these are dwellings. So overall, and, and but we did analyze housing more particularly for the actual trends. And so with these dwelling prices here, the main thing to consider is we use something called SA3 regions, and that stands for statistical area three, uh, very commonly used in ABS and census, but for simple terms, it's just essentially a cluster of suburbs put together to make a bigger area. So the data is reliable, right? Now with these areas, Lee, One thing I do want to mention is that we had so many regions. This is probably the most tough report to do in the fact that so many had great prospects in terms of capital growth. Uh, One thing to mention is that there were some shout outs, areas like Murray Bridge, areas like Port Pirie, Gawler. These areas were doing really well in many data aspects, like massively. But the key is that we just wanted to make sure we had some diversity in areas. We factored some regional, some major Adelaide. And when you've got a top four or five list, it's extremely difficult to get enough spread. There were also some small towns, Lee, just to give a shout out, Port Piri and some other surrounding small towns where the data was extremely strong. But again, just to small population sizes, very, very low statistical relevance and weighting. We just felt like hey, let's maybe exclude that on such a broad South Australia reports. But I want to give the love to everyone there that the data is obviously very strong in some of these areas. So I think the main thing is just wanted to shout out to a few other areas and their price points as well.
1: Awesome. And so with, I guess, from, I guess, an investor's point of view, so we've got Mount Gambier coming in at the lowest median house price or price, median price at Uh, 380k versus Adelaide Hills at the highest, and that's for a 650k median price. What are the major differences you see in these two areas? And if you're an investor and you say you've got one or two properties already under your belt, but your total capacity, you're able to afford another 700, 750k investment purchase price currently, would you go for two properties in Mount Gambier or one at a higher value end in Adelaide Hills and why?
0: Yeah. Really good question. So this is the most, it depends component of investing, right? Like I take us back to 2020 when we invested in Bendigo. And Mm -hmm. I think when we look at it, we purchased a property for 380,000, which today's worth over 600,000, which is firstly unreal based on bank valuations. Now, looking back at that, we may have, and could have probably gone for some different prices or maybe have told ourselves, we've got a fair bit of property, why not wait for bigger prices? At that time, that was also what happened to be the most budget we could do. And so it's a decision for each investor to go, do I not invest versus do I do something? And if it's that tight because you cannot get more, then sometimes doing something can be very powerful and that proved to be a very powerful decision rather than saying, hey, Lockdowns are here. Don't do anything. Maybe just wait a bit. Don't spend. Wait till you have a bigger budget. No, we got in and it benefited us. So, if you're in that position where the budgets are a little bit, hmm, maybe not 500 can't do that. I would still look at taking action. In my opinion, just simply because the data is prone for growth. There, it's under rented, undersupplied, and that aspect. Now, if you've got two properties and you've got an option for two and a bigger budget, coming back to your point there. I firstly want to look at your investor profile. Are you someone who's a less is more or more is more? Do you see pride and diversity and, and satisfaction by having seven places and different suburbs, cities, states, and feel pretty good that way? Or do you look at it and go, look, that's too many roofs, kitchens, bathrooms, and, and structures and subfloors for me to maintain. Mm-hmm. And so that's the first part because the investor profile trumps the actual decision. Because if you're going to hold something and you get constantly annoyed with something and you now sell sooner than its long-term averages of growth kicking in, you've just shot yourself in the foot, even though it could have been the right area, the right location, but because of these little things come in your mind and you just go, no, I don't want to do it. So investor profile first, how is that looking? Then the second thing is investor goal. If you now go, wow, three properties at 700K value each, debt-free, in line with my profile, in twenty years, sounds like me. Well, there's no point cutting that into six properties because that is your profile matched with your goal. And then finally, you go to your outcome. Your outcome being my profile, my goal, and my outcome. My outcome here is I need slightly higher yields to get the banks across the line. So I may not have a choice but to split it into a couple. I okay. need my outcome to be you know different cycle, different area, diversity because I'm pretty stacked up in the state and I don't want to, you know. So it's a combination of outcome, goal and profile and that decides it. But if you just want pure performance and the data of an affordable area is slightly better. You have to remember if you just buy one of those versus a 600, you have to have a 350 and say a 700 actually perform double to match the result. Because a 700k place at 5% growth is 35k a 350K place to get the same 35K is 10%. So I wouldn't just buy one and sit back and go, I've got a great affordable, high yielding location and it's so high growth and it's going to be great. Well, I could just get half the results as you just because I used my budget completely and I was able to get ahead, right? So you have to find the balance between two. And if your budget is 700 and you want to do two, just don't stop at one. Because you need double the growth to achieve the same person as someone at 700 who just did one and was an okay decision. So I would say right. use up it all is the core factor and how you use it as a combination of investor profile, investor goal, and then the outcome that you need to move ahead.
1: Awesome. Was there any, I guess, data you wanted to comment around the difference of rental yields or anything like that?
0: Yeah. Firstly, for anyone, I guess, keen to grab a copy, you can just jump on investigate.com.au and Click on our research tab. There's a white paper section, and this is the top performers in South Australia in 2023. This is our thoughts here for what's happening, and South Australia is definitely a standout. Now, for some specific data sets to call out, Lee, I think you've already shared the area, so no one's getting a bit of sizzle in this podcast like I tried to we do last time.
1: <laughs> yeah, remember
0: last time, the last we last podcast? Yeah, last time I think I think we gave two areas and we're like, "Oh, we're going to hide the rest and you are going to have to download to find out. Uh, today the sizzle's out, so no need to download it if you just wanted to know the areas. But I guess if you want to know the why, it's really important to check out some pretty cool stats. And some of these stats that have, you know, something I've been really enjoying has been our infrastructure per capita. I think you'll find a lot of value in that. And that's something many big city folk don't quite get if you're in a big city and you have a lot of population and you see a large project. Have you maybe thought that you're just meant to have a lot of infrastructure because you have a lot of people? It's a big city, more population. So when you have that $5 billion huge tunnel coming, it's great, but it's meant to happen. So it's not something special. That same $5 billion say hospital or $2 billion hospital in a town of 50,000 people, huge per capita difference. So I'd encourage people to check out some of our per capita statistics and GRP growth and local economies of some of these regions. And the second data point that I find really exciting is really around when we look at the housing inventory and vacancy and the low supply, I'm just seeing so much undersupply in South Australia right now. It's going to take a lot of distress. It's going to take a lot of people excited about gains and selling out on those gains. It's going to take a huge amount of construction, which as we know, takes time. And so there is still merit in some of these locations, even with such growth, just because undersupply has not returned. Like there is no supply that's returned. It's still very under supply. And yes, the trend lines are changing a little bit, but that's a national trend line we're seeing of some supply bounce and listings in the market. Because we're seeing a little bit more confidence come in. But I think that's one core thing to share with everyone. Because when you go back to Hobart, this is one of the biggest mistakes people made. In 2017, it had grown a fair bit. And everyone said, oh, it's done its thing. Interest rates, or maybe not interest rates, I think it was negative gearing at that time or APRA. It's over now. Then in 2018, it did its thing. Hobart's had its time. Must be over now. And then in 2019, it did its thing. Definitely. No more growth left in Hobart. It's it's ship sailed there, mate. And I just see all these comments in the forums. I see all these. It's just so incorrect when it comes to data interpretation. It will keep going if people are willing and able to pay that price. Sales volumes represents people's willingness and ableness, if ableness is a word, to make that price happen. It will keep going if there's no houses for sale, no houses for rent and no construction. And then we'll keep going if the local economy is strong and continues to produce jobs and continues to produce new opportunities for new workers. So people need to take a step back and look at some of these trends and not just this isolated it's done its thing. Because if you keep carrying that mindset, you're going to constantly sit back and watch the train fly by and watch the results fly by, the plane fly by, whatever you want to call it. Because in 2013 and 14, just when you said Sydney had two double digit years. It had another. It had another. If you go to Orange in 2018, if you go to Launceston, if you go to Bendigo and Ballarat in 2018 and 19, they did their thing. In 20 and 21, they did their thing. So the key here is housing cycles are not that simple. Yes, on average, that two and a half to three and a half years are kind of where most sort of sizzle down or finish their sizzle. But the main thing I want to share in these data points are I'm just looking at them going, hold on a minute, undersupplied, under rent supply. Under for sale, under stock on market, under on construction, high on job advertisements, high on infrastructure. Yes, there's been a lot of recent growth, so you cannot expect it to sizzle forever, but there's nothing stopping it right now until some of these conditions hugely shift. And that's what people need to look at. It will slow its rate of growth if demand and interest rates keep impacting it, because it's not like everyone's buying cash, but it doesn't just disappear and not grow things change through a combination of sales volumes, listing levels, construction levels, vacancy levels, job advertisements, local economy. And many of these regions, they just haven't seen that change yet. So I think that's the key for people reading into this data is don't be fooled like the majority do, like they did for Hobart, like they did for Sydney in certain years, Melbourne in certain years, and sit back and watch all this go past you because the truth is it's very rare for some of the wine capitals of our country the coastal southern parts of Adelaide, and beautiful, vibrant regional areas, to be this affordable. And ten years later, you might look back and go, "Wow, that's right. It was very affordable." So that's my thoughts when reading this research paper.
1: I feel definitely more Sydney siders, for example, starting to catch on how beautiful Adelaide is.
0: I right. yeah, it was pretty cool. We we had a little coastal <laughs> walks down the south, and yeah. very Sydney of us to do two things. Right, one is Never sit down for a coffee. I don't know if anyone realised that this is a Sydney yeah, thing. Mainly laugh about this all the time. Like everyone actually sits down with Sydney siders. Like, oh, I'll take that takeaway and I'm just gonna keep running and walking I somewhere because
1: be with my coffee. In hand.
0: I-, I always got somewhere to be because I'm a Sydney side. <laughs> I'm always rushing and always busy. Hi, okay. bye, thank you, welcome. Everything in one second. I'm out because Sydney siders are so important. Uh, no, honestly, that's how it feels like in Sydney. But then everywhere we're in Adelaide, they're like. we're going to sit down we're going to enjoy our coffee whereas in sydney it's just that takeaway line is pumping order 21 order 22 it's like gone uh so i think that was pretty pretty cool to just see people chill for a bit and and still soak in all that beauty but then the second thing was just yeah i mean we did our typical sydney what's the price on that let me call logic that one let me check this one everything
1: yeah and if you're doing comparison for sydney median house price i mean it looks like a it's still a bargain in comparison like back then we just settled on that property what was the purchase price 925k right on the water
0: yeah, yeah i think it was coastal and look i mean anyone tuning into this for the purpose of data this is not data stuff talking about copies okay. and, and and coastal views <laughs> and walks and and cheap because it's cheap to sydney Look, that is not data at all uh, but no. what i'm trying to say is that you know, if you weren't investing with the data driven mind and you were just getting the feelers and you're going on basic gut feel, all that stuff sounds pretty good, doesn't it? But hey, that's that's it from us here on the Investor and Hills Finance co-hosted podcast, The Property Nerds Show. Thank you so much for tuning in and, and supporting this. This is the last one for the financial year. And uh, fun yeah. fact, I just realized, Lee, we're actually heading to Adelaide for our end of financial year event. So that seems pretty cool. And that wasn't by choice due to the white paper, everyone. We have a team vote and all the team members in the two companies voting. Right. Different
1: yeah. locations and Adelaide came out on top.
0: Yeah. So can't wait for that.
1: Orange or something.
0: Yeah, Orange was second. I think there's something with our teams and the wines. I, I'm getting that wines <laughs> are the common denominator here. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Winery.
0: <laughs> well, me and you aren't, aren't much on the wines these days. We're not really on that. But uh, I think the main thing here is thank you everyone for all your support this financial year. And uh, I hope you've tuned in and enjoyed the podcast. And the main thing here I want to give a huge shout out to is we've crossed over 300,000 downloads and those downloads are rapidly growing. And just want to say a huge thank you and that you've enjoyed this podcast, the feedback, the messages. Uh, It's been an absolute privilege from us to produce this show and be able to share all these insights with you. And as you know, that's one thing Lee and I really want to do is help families be the best, be in their best positions and use data to get ahead, not fall to the traps of the myths of investing, the common barbecue uncle and auntie mistakes, and actually make a difference to your own family's future, because that is going to be what sets you apart in the future years when you look back and go, I feel pretty good about that transition to the next parts of life. So thank you for letting us be a part of that journey for you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned. Game over.